0: Good morning. My name is Brian DeMaster. The scripture passage today comes from the Old Testament book of Psalm. I will be reading from chapter 37, verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, thank you. thanks, Jeff. All right. Well, thank you all so much for these past um, two weeks. Um, this is my last day that I'm being with you. Brain is heartbroken. Um... <laughs> She really is. (laughs) Can we stay here forever, Dad? Like, uh... (laughs) I don't really know how to answer that. Um, Yeah, no, thank you so much. It has been a joy to be with you. Um, uh, I would be lying if I said I wouldn't be missing uh, part of this. And um, well, I I won't miss the drive here every Sunday morning, but I will certainly miss you and I will definitely miss the waterless urinals in the bathroom. Those things are cool. Uh, (laughs) Actually they're from Kohler and my father-in-law works at Kohler and he told me about those things and they save a lot of water but you have to put oil on those things and it's a special type of oil and it's like really expensive so <laughs> that's the hidden uh, that's the hidden you know gotcha in the, in those things but they're still cool regardless and very fitting to be at a nature center I don't know why I'm talking about urinals um <laughs> I think I'm just gonna miss you guys all right um So in the past two weeks, and then today we're finishing it up, we've been working through a sermon called um, God Never Said, or a sermon series called God Never Said. And I think there's sort of these phrases or these fragments of belief that we kind of circulate amongst the Christian community, things that sort of make us feel good or make somebody else feel good when we say them or when we believe them. But if you kind of dig down a little bit, they're really not biblical. And the goal of this series has been to kind of expose these, fra- these phrases or these fragments of belief as unbiblical and then correct them into something that is biblical. And so this week we turn our attention to the phrase, God wants you to be happy. I think this is less said than it is just sort of internally believed, all right? It's not that we really say this that much, but I feel like a lot of us are sort of um, seduced into believing this. So let's just start with a, with a video. Oh my gosh, did you hear that Elizabeth and Trenton went on a date the other night? Where'd they go? Oh my gosh, I've wanted this bag for so long. If you want it so bad, why don't you just get it? I only work at Festival Foods, I can't afford that. But won't getting it make you happy? Well, of course it would. Well, God wants us to be happy, so buy the purse. You're right, of course God wants me to mortgage my financial future to find happiness in buying stuff. You're a good friend. We actually got in trouble for filming that video those are two of my students and uh we went to target and we're setting up and we're kind of doing various takes. And here comes this worker over to us. He's like, what are you doing? You know, we're like, uh, we're filming. And you know, what's this for? And I'm like, "It's educational, you know? And, and he's like, and so he, he calls his manager over and he's like the, t- the tattletale. He's like, they're filming over here. They got a camera over here. I don't know what they're doing over here. You know? And I'm just like, Hey, listen, we're just, we just wanted to make a video. And we're talking to the manager and the manager kind of brings some like level headedness to the situation. He's like, You're supposed to get permission, and there's like a form that you have to fill out and all this stuff. And he said, and I said, well, he said, you know, we'll let it go this time, but just could you just kind of wrap it up? And so we were like, okay. So we just kind of quickly filmed and got out of (laughs) there. Sorry for getting you in trouble, high school students. But um, anyway, yeah, so uh, God wants you to be happy. This really isn't biblical, but I think there's sort of a little part of us that wants to believe this, all right? And I want to expose it as unbiblical. But if a phrase like God wants you to be happy, or if a belief like God wants you to be happy really isn't true or isn't biblical, then where does it come from? I want to explore two origins for a phrase like God wants you to be happy. The first one is that, in case you haven't noticed, we as Americans live in a pretty consumeristic culture. We like to buy stuff. And in buying stuff, we believe a lie that says, if you buy this thing, you will be happy. Okay? I once was at a conference. It was, okay, nerd alert. It was Youth Ministry and Technology Conference. And I'm like just geeking out because that's like two of my interests that are just intersecting with one another. And uh, yeah, so I'm a total nerd. But I'm at this conference, and the, uh, the plenary speaker was, he asked us a question. He said... Out of the top three tech giants, so this is Amazon, Google, and Apple, which one is the most positioned for long-term success? Which one will make the most money over the course of its history? And he argued that it was Amazon. Because Amazon appeals to our consumeristic nature. Amazon has become the company that can give you whatever you want, wherever you want it, whenever you want it, at the cheapest price. All right? They've been experimenting with drone delivery. Now, this is not implemented fully yet, but the idea is that you know, if you're up north at your cottage and you're kind of thirsty, but the fridge is empty and a store is a long drive away, you can go on your phone to the Amazon app, hit buy now, and within 30 minutes, a drone arrives in your backyard with your beverages. I'm serious. And they've actually completed a delivery back in 2016. They completed a delivery of... Of a drone product. In 13 minutes, the customer hit buy now. And 13 minutes later, a drone landed in his backyard with whatever he ordered. All right. So this, they want to do this. I hope they don't get to, but they want to do this. On top of it, they have um, their own line of Amazon products. And part of that product line is this tablet. And this is actually a really good bargain if you want a budget tablet this is one of the best tablets for the price on the market it's the kindle fire 7 and i have two of these things so i have the 7 and then i have like the hd10 which is a little bit bigger and has higher resolution and what happens is so this retails normally for 50 bucks and then on certain days like Black Friday and Amazon Prime Day, they'll drop the price of this thing to $30 on sale. So you can actually get a fully functioning tablet for $30. And so here's how I fall victim to the consumeristic culture. Like whenever that price drops, I actually have to like withhold myself from buying another one. I have two of these things. And I have to like tell myself, no Bill, you have two. You don't need any more. Just because it's $30 and a good bargain doesn't mean that you have to buy another one, Right? But we all have this consumeristic desire to buy stuff thinking that it will make us happy. Another note about this tablet. I think, I think that Amazon either sells it at cost or takes a loss on it because they know that it's a storefront for Amazon. You know, you want to watch this video, just buy it through Amazon. You want to watch this TV show, just buy it through Amazon. I mean, they they will recoup the cost of selling this tablet at a loss because they know that you will buy more stuff from Amazon thinking that this will make you happy. And boy, though, does it ever feel good to hit buy now, right? Does it not? I'm just realizing that right now, how good it feels. Buy now. Ooh, yes. Two days. It's going to show up at my door. Okay, enough of that. So we love to consume and buy stuff. And in doing so, we feed into the lie that this will make us happy, but it doesn't last. They're doing some research, and they're finding that not only do we like to consume stuff as a culture, but millennials actually like to consume experiences, okay? So there was a study by the Harris Group that concluded this. It said, this generation, meaning millennials, millennials not only highly value experiences, but they are increasingly spending time and money on them, from concerts and social events to athletic pursuits to cultural experiences and events of all kinds. For this group, happiness isn't as focused on possessions or career status. I kind of disagree with that. Living a meaningful happy life is about, there it is, happy life is about creating, sharing, and capturing memories earned through experiences that span the spectrum of life's opportunities. So basically all that's saying is that um, this study kind of downplays the, the, the stuff and I think they're just as consumeristic about stuff as anybody else is. But what they're saying is millennials also like to consume experiences. And I think social media drives that because if you can have the experience, then you can add it to your life portfolio, so to speak, and put it up on your social media and increase the FOMO factor of everybody else, and now I've just created a digital one-up, right? And I, 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 I understand this. I really do because I was, at a, um, I was at a class in Chicago at my seminary this past week, and... Uh, on the last day I had some time and and so there's, if you don't know all the stuff, I don't have time to get into it now. We can talk about it if you want later. But um, Willow Creek is one of the largest mega churches in America, and it's in Chicagoland. And there's a bunch of stuff going down there. And I had never been. And we talked a lot about it in our class. And so I had some extra time, and I thought, well, you know, I've never been to Willow Creek. I have some extra time. Now is as good a time as any. Traffic is pretty good. I could get there in a short amount of time. Plus, you know, if I go there, not only can I add it to my life experience, but now I can put it up on my social media and show everybody that I've been there, right, and, get, and, and show everybody like what i think of what's happening there right exactly so i get it i get this consumeristic desire not only to buy stuff but also to add experiences to our life portfolio and we do these things we consume in the hopes that whatever we are consuming will make us happy and it might for a little while but it never lasts does it it's only temporary so where does a phrase like god will god wants you to be happy come from Number one, it comes from being a nation of consumers, and number two, it comes from prosperity gospel. I think that prosperity gospel is the number one heresy or falsity or twist on the biblical truth that are that the church today is having to combat. Okay, so what prosperity gospel does is it takes a consumeristic culture like America, and it says. Well, let's build a Christian theology around that and let's read the Bible through that consumeristic lens and let's turn God into someone who wants to meet all of those consumeristic desires. Okay? This is what prosperity gospel does. Like, let, me, let me walk you through this a little bit. So a prosperity gospel would read our scripture passage for today transactionally. Okay? Here's how they're reading this. All right? The verse says, take delight in the Lord. So delight becomes a product That we have, like belief or faith, and we give our delight to the Lord. All right, that's the first part of the transaction. We give delight, or we give belief, or we give faith to God. And then in turn, transactionally, God returns to us the desires of our heart. So we give God what we have, which is faith. And God transactionally returns to us what we want. And what we want is all of these consumeristic things. Okay, we want uh, a boat. We want uh, an addition to our house. I, right now, I would really wish I had a different shower door because our things leaks like crazy, all right? I want a different shower door, all right? I want success for my children. I want my children to find a good job that pays them well. I want, uh, you know, I want to, I want nicer clothes. I don't know, whatever it is. But the idea is that if we give God belief, God will prosper us all right, in all these consumeristic ways, all right, that's what, that's why they say prosperity gospel. You following me here? Am I making any sense about this? Prosperity gospel, all right, it's sometimes called the health and wealth gospel because the theology of it says that if you believe in God, he will prosper you and make you healthy and make you wealthy. That's basically what they say, all right, and what it does is it, it transforms God into a cosmic genie who exists to shower you with whatever you want. So we rub the lamp of we rub the lamp of scripture of God and we say I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, fully expecting that God will just begin to grant us wishes, basically. All right, does that make sense? Is am I making any sense here? All right. One of the sort of in a, in the vein of wanting us to be aware of false teachers. All right, last week we read from 1 Peter about him saying, be on your guard against false teachers. The number one promulgator of this gospel is a man by the name of Joel Osteen, who is the pastor of a church in um, Austin, sorry, Houston, Texas. Houston? Yeah, Houston, Texas. All right, Houston, Texas. And um, if you look at the titles of his books, he's made millions of dollars on his books. It gives it away. All right, it gives it away. Look at these book titles. I declare your best life now. Become a better you. It's your time. I don't see anything about God in those titles. All I see is everything about us. And this gives it away that the gospel that he is preaching is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a gospel of humanity wanting stuff. That's his gospel. All right. And they um, so many people are ready to feed upon these lies that they pack this church in Houston, Texas. It was the compact center where the Rockets played, the Houston Rockets played, and now they renovated it into this church, and they, they're the, they, they bring you know 37,000 people there on a week, on a, on a Sunday, all right, and they pack people who are ready to feed upon these lies because it's a message that our culture wants to hear, our consumeristic culture wants stuff and we want things, and this theology, this gospel says God exists to grant you all those wishes and all that stuff and all those things. All right, it's not true. It's all lies. Be on your guard, church. Be on your guard. Where does a phrase like God wants you to be happy come from? Number one, it comes from a consumeristic culture. And number two, it comes from prosperity gospel who says let's build a theology around that consumeristic culture and tell everybody that God exists to grant them whatever they want. It's all lies. So what do we do? What do we do with a phrase like God wants you to be happy? All right, this week I don't even need a red pen to make any corrections. I just need a pencil, all right? And I want to add two words to correct this into something that is biblical. It's not God wants you to be happy. It's God wants you to be happy in him. It's not God wants you to be happy. It's God wants you to be happy in him. Let's look at our scripture passage again, all right? Psalm 37, four says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. It's not transactional. This is a being statement, all right? This is a statement of being in the Lord, being part of God's family, being uh, encapsulated in, in who God is and identifying as one of his children. All right. There's a being statement that says, I am finding my worth and my value and my entire identity is wrapped up in who God is. Okay. That's what the Psalmist is getting at here. And it is in that identity wrapping with the Lord that God, God, we become who God created us to be. All right. Maybe another way of saying this is take delight in the Lord and you will have found what you so desperately seek. There it is. Take delight in the Lord, and you will have found what you so desperately seek. Or take delight in the Lord, and you found your reason for being. That's how we read that. That's how we read that, all right? This is how the Westminster Shorter Catechism says it, all right? It asks the question. It says, what is the chief end of man? Or why were people created? Why did God create people? And the answer is to glorify God. And what? enjoy him forever. Isn't that a cool little thing that you wouldn't really expect? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. All right. So in this way, glorifying God or God's glory and happiness are interlinked. Okay. Because it is in glorifying God that we realize the reason why we've been created and in glorifying God, we are the most happy because we have realized our purpose. All right. And, and We, we glorify God when, uh, sorry, sorry, I'm losing my, I'm really tired. So it is, we, we bring the most glory to God when we are the happiness, happiest in him. We bring the most glory to God when we are the most happy in him. All right. And then conversely, we are the most happy. There's the line I was looking for. And conversely, we are the most happy when we are being God glory, because we are meeting the purpose for which we've been created. There it is. Thank you, Holy Spirit. That one I knew was going to be the trouble moment. I seriously thought about looking on my iPad and just reading it because it's always been the most difficult part. So thank you, Lord, for giving it to me. All right. So they're interlinked, all right? Uh, John Piper, who's a pastor, has come up with a phrase called Christian hedonism to describe this dynamic, this link between God's glory and ultimate enduring happiness. And I love that he uses the phrase Christian hedonism because hedonism is often a bad thing. And what he's doing is he's subverting the term hedonism for our purpose as followers of Christ. Here's what uh, hedonism is, like pleasure seeking, or or the search for becoming the most happy. So let's look at Christian hedonism. Firstly, first part of Christian hedonism is that every human longs to be happy. Right? I mean, we all experience this. We all want to be happy. We all want to find a happiness that endures, a happiness that never ends. And our founders of our country knew this because they said that we've been endowed by our creator by certain ina- with certain inali- inalienable rights, one of them being the pursuit of happiness. We've all been created with this longing to be happy, with this desire to find a happiness that never ends. Here's where it gets different. It's actually good. All right? This desire to be happy is actually a good desire because the Lord built that into us. Now that might come as a surprise to us because we might say as Christians, well, uh, you know, I feel like that's like we should deny our ourselves that, right? Like we should deny uh, like Jesus even says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Well, he's not talking about deny the desire to be happy. He's talking about deny your sinful nature in that moment, right? But the longing to be happy has been given to us by God and it is actually a good thing. It's kind of like procreation, all right? We've all been built with a desire to procreate. God put that into us. The problem is that we misuse that desire, right? We, we do things to meet that desire that are outside of God's design. That's when it becomes bad. In the same way, our longing to be happy was given to us by God. The problem is that we try to meet that longing with all of the wrong things, all right? Is that, are you following me so far? Are you following me? Yeah. So therefore, if, if human beings were created with this longing, And if this longing is good, we should seek whatever will provide happiness that never ends, right? We should seek whatever will provide ultimate happiness. And the problem is that we try to fill that longing with temporary pleasures, we try to fill that longing with pornography. We try to fill that longing with alcohol. We try to fill that longing with status. We try to fill that longing with money. We try to fill that longing even with our kids, and then our kids disappoint. We try to fill that longing with our spouse, and then our spouse disappoints. Right? All of these things are temporary when we try to fill that longing. All right? C.S. Lewis puts it this way, and I love this. This is just beautiful. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward, and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too weak. Sorry, not too strong, but too weak. The Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. In other words, we desire all the wrong things, is what he's saying. All right? He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when all the while, infinite joy that never ends is offered to us. We settle for all these things that are only temporary. Right? and that and and that and, and that make us feel worse coming out of them than when we went in, right, when God is over here offering infinite joy, and here 's the beautiful image, He says, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I love that image because we as creatures who fill our longing with all these temporary pleasures are like a child that is just content to sit in the slums and make mud pies for his entertainment. When all the while God is over here and saying, infinite joy is over here at the beach. Come join me on vacation at the beach. Get rid of those mud pies. Stop settling for the slums and come over here and find infinite joy that ends, that never ends in a holiday at the sea. That's what he's saying. I love, love, love this quote, which leads us to where we were going, which is ultimate and enduring happiness is found only in God. All right. God is the one in whom we find a happiness and a joy that never, ever runs out, that never, ever is finite because we have met our purpose. That's what it means when Psalm 37, 4 says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You found it. You have found the one whom you are searching for. Some people have put it this way. They say we all have a God-shaped hole In our heart. And we try to plug that hole. With all the wrong things that don't fit. You know drugs. Alcohol. Extramarital affairs. Whatever we think will make us happy right. Status. Money. Vacations. Kids. Spouse. Family members. Whatever. New car. None of that stuff lasts. It's only when we find the Lord. That we are most happy in him. That that hole is plugged. Because we have found. Whom we are looking for. Whom God has designed us to find. Which is himself. Alrighty, look at the psalmist. He gets this. He says, take delight in whom? The Lord, and he will give you desires of your heart. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, right? He gets this. He gets the idea that this idea of never-ending joy and never-ending happiness is found in being in God, right? Being a child of God. It's not God wants you to be happy. It's God wants you to be happy in him, he is whom we are searching for. He is whom we have been created to find. That is where unending happiness lies. All right? Maybe just one sort of thing for us, or what does this mean for us? It means that when we untether happiness from our circumstances, and when we tether our happiness to God, our happiness becomes infinite, right? Because if we tether our happiness to circumstances, our circumstances change. And if our happiness is tethered to changing circumstances, then our happiness level is bound to change, right? Because if we have our happiness tied to our circumstances, someone in the family might die. And when that happens, that's going to change our happiness level. Right. And I'm not talking about being sad about the person being gone. Now, I'm talking about, you know, a deeper level of happiness. Right. Or if we tie our happiness completely to our jobs, when our job is troublesome or when we, God forbid, we lose our jobs, that's going to change our level of happiness. Right. Because we have tied our happiness to something temporary, something that is changing and that's going to have a direct impact on our happiness, on our joy. But if we tether our happiness to God, God is unchanging. God is sovereign. God is the unmoved mover. And therefore, our happiness never changes because we have tethered our joy and our happiness to the one who created us and who designed us to find him and who never changes. Is this making any sense? Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. We tether our happiness to God and our happiness level never changes. We can find joy. This is why. I see this practically at play in the life of Paul, okay? Look at the day that Paul and Silas had, okay? A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. That's a bad day, right? Has anyone in here ever been beaten with a wooden rod? Please don't raise your hand if you have been. But uh, my guess is, I'm realizing I shouldn't have asked that question, but I doubt it. Certainly not in the way that Paul and Silas were beaten. All right? That is a really bad day. Now, to top it off, then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Yeah, none of us have had, or I would hedge a bet, that none of us have had as bad of a day as Paul and Silas had right here, all right? And they're sitting in the inner dungeon because they're such a threat to society preaching the gospel, all right? You gotta put them in the inner dungeon. And their backs have no skin and no flesh left on them. And now it's pussing because the platelets are trying to come up with some type of scab. And their, shack- their feet are shackled to the wall. I mean, can you imagine every little movement is just agony when you don't have any flesh on your back anymore, Right? And what do they do that night? After a tremendously bad day, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What is going on? How can you sing hymns to the Lord and joyously praise him when you're in the worst of circumstances? It's because their happiness was not tethered to their circumstances, but their happiness was tethered to God himself. And they saw themselves as as agents of the gospel and it's flowed from that view that they could be joyful all right saint augustine said this he said if i were to ask you why you have believed in christ why you have become christians every person will answer truly for the sake of happiness let's pray